Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shannon and Mandy. Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Today on Sense of Soul, we are super excited to have on Nikki Allen. She is a woman who has been through so much in her life, and she aligns perfectly with Sense of Soul because she has turned her pain into purpose. She was struck down with fibromyalgia in the prime of her life as a successful TV psychic medium. She was left with nothing but two bags and the demons from her past and her two adorable dogs. She embarked on a beautiful new journey, but it was not all butterflies and roses. Grieving her old life and begrudgingly accepting guidance from angels and spirit guides after losing her faith, she found a reason to live again after being on the brink of suicide. Nikki has been a freelance paranormal spiritual writer for the last 16 years and has had many articles published in many different magazines. We are going to be talking about her new amazing book, Me, Myself, and I, The Diary of a Psychic. And I am so excited to talk about it. Nikki is with us today all the way from the UK. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my darlings, it's such a pleasure to be here. This almost feels like a pyjama party. I know. It's it's like we're kicking back, having a coffee and having a girly chat. I'm loving it already. I'm loving the vibe. (laughs) Well, and that's the vibe we always try to put out. Just relax, let the universe guide the conversation, screw up words when we're talking and not care so much. (laughs) So Nikki, every time I hear the name of your book, I think of De La Soul. See, it is like a pajama party. Whoop, whoop. Yes, of course. They've nicked my title, even though that was back in the 80s, I think, when it 90s. I love that song. Exactly. Well done for finding that. <laughs> as soon as I saw it. I was like, oh, I love that song. All of a sudden, the song started playing in my head. <laughs> do, you know, do you know, the title for the book, I thought was a masterpiece, like Emmy, myself and I, but over in the US and Canada, they don't resonate with Emmy. It's called, it's CFS over there, isn't it? Chronic Fatigue Syndrome. For interviews I've gone, they've gone, what's Emmy? And I'm like, oh my goodness, I've gone wrong a bit for the US and Canada. <laughs> Such a good yeah. title. I thought I'm going to stick with it. I'm not even going to say I copied it from De La Soul. No, I didn't. <laughs> awesome thanks you know what um not only is the title awesome but your artwork where did you come up with the cover oh my goodness I'm not joking you again it was a universal drop in my lap without even trying obviously I you know I have done magazine work predominantly I was doing theater shows tv and all that kind of stuff proving the afterlife so to then go into this new realm of being an author and suddenly you've got to come up with a book cover and goodness knows what I was like oh man I I just was totally out of my league anyway I just put um, a thing on Facebook to say I'm a bit lost because I'm so honest as the day is long and I just I just say to my people on Facebook I'm lost does anybody know anything about graphic design so this lady goes oh my my sister is just doing her degree in graphic design perhaps she can help and I thought well I'll ask her so she goes well what do you want and I said I need to have a butterfly because butterflies represent transformation and they're one of my most favorite spiritual creatures and I said I need to show the wings are broken though I need to have a naked woman because I don't know if you've got that far in the book yet darling but you know when I do my surrender naked I said I need a naked woman but I can't make it too cheesy and too booby 
<laughs> She's like, right. I said, plus I love the sea and I want that incorporated and I just want it to look spiritual, but not cheesy. And my goodness, she sent that within about five minutes. I just couldn't believe no it. She had all my favourite colours in there. Seriously, the purple, the pinks, the bubble effect on the front of the cover. It's making me go goosey. And, I, and her name is Verity Rock. What a cool name, Verity Rock. She's going to be doing every single cover for all of my next books. She is incredible. She's just got such amazing intuition. I couldn't have thought of anything better than that cover. I just thought it was amazing what she created. Yes. That's like how Shanna is. I'll have a vision and I want to create something which would take me like a month and she'll do it in five minutes and she sends it to me and I'm like, she's like, what do you wow. think? I'm like, uh, it's perfect. <laughs> there you go. But you've got you've got that soul sister vibe going on between the two of you. You're definitely part of the same soul cluster. There's no doubt about it. And you are. Yeah. And what I love about you two as well, I think it's going to turn into a reading, but it's not. But you've got this warts and all concept. You know, there's no facade between the two of you. You really are soul sisters. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about it. You two are so divinely connected. It's wonderful energy between the two of you. Well, thank Wonderful. you. She's your soul sister. I thought, well, I'm with the love of my life now. And I can't believe it because I always thought, who's going to want someone that's ill? Nobody's going to want me. I need to pretend to be my old self and all the rest of it, as in the book. Again, when I look back, I still keep reading the book over and over again because I find it cathartic to see that person who I can't relate to anymore. I know. You know, I just refresh yeah. myself to remind myself. And you do it, you attract, and people keep, and I get so many emails from people saying, why do I keep getting assholes? Why do I keep getting bad <laughs> men? And it's because you think that's all you deserve. And that's what I yeah. did. I lowered myself to this expectancy where all I felt I deserved was whoever, you know, liked me. And it's so unhealthy. And this is what I'm trying to educate women and men with, is that what you feel about yourself is who you will attract as a partner, including friends that we were just saying. And so, you know, if you think, oh, God, well, I'm, I'm fat, I'm rubbish, I'm not good enough, nobody's going to love me, blah, 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 blah. The universe goes, hello? Yeah, I can hear that. Right, okay, well, we'll send you another dick. Do you know what I mean? As in the dick that I had written in my book who stole my money. And so that you get it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the biggest thing that I'm trying to get across, not only is the fundamental, you know, message of hope and this message of that you're never alone and that to keep your faith and all the rest of it, but also is self-love. If you can't appreciate and love yourself, then nothing is going to change in your life nothing and people just don't get that concept and that's what I'm trying to drive forward to those people that are stuck in this you know loop of rubbish and crap and not getting the job they want not getting the house they want not getting the partner they want and it's because wow. I'm actually subconsciously sending out this energy oh, I don't really deserve it because I've had this done to me or I was told this when I was a child you know so there's a lot to be said about self-perception because once you've smashed that, and once you think, do you know what, I deserve that, thank you very much, I will have that, oh yes, that's definitely going to work for me, I'll have that as well, please, because I deserve it, and the universe goes, okay, your guides go, okay, the angel realms go, lovely, now we're cooking on gas, let's give her what she needs to take herself forward, and that is how I live my life now, and yeah, of course, look, you know, we're in this COVID mess, this hecticness, this year has been so full of dense energy, and so for people like us three, light workers, sensitive souls, empaths, we are going to get a big hit now and then from the denseness of everybody else's fear, 
frustration and anger. So, and that's how I see it. And when I speak to my friends and all of them are spiritual, all of them are spiritual. They say, I suddenly get a time where I just get so frustrated. I mean, I just cry. I just feel really crappy. And I'm like, yeah, it's because we are literally trying to stay in this high vibration with all this crap going on around us, you know, with all this control and God knows what's going on with COVID. And so I just bubble myself away from it. I haven't got time to deal with that. I've got time to deal with love, helping people, inspiring people and doing what I do on YouTube, through my books, through my writing. And that's what I'm concentrating on at the moment. And this is what I'll say to anybody. You've got to try and keep away from it because one minute, you know, COVID's up with deaths. One minute it's down. One minute you're wearing masks. One minute you're not. And it's just, whoa, 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 whoa. As a light worker and as someone that is very sensitive to the universe and the planet, I can't play this game. So you just play it elsewhere. That's why I don't even watch the news anymore. Can't be doing it. It's not in my remit. My remit is sitting there having PJ parties with cool girls. <laughs> yes, you are freaking seriously cut from the same freaking cloth. Oh my God, I wished I was over your way. It'd be so As cool well. to meet up with you girls. I spent yesterday and today planning a self-love workshop because since the soul is built on that concept, that yes. that is step one, self-love. And so yes. I was writing about it this morning and oh. everything you just said is exactly what Shannon and I've been talking about for two days. Oh, you are so kidding me. You couldn't oh, no, make it up, girls. Not just that, but Nikki, I had like this realization over the past month about how I used to be and what I had accepted about myself. And yeah. when I looked back at it, I thought, like you just said, wow, I don't know her, but yes. I remember her. I remember her and I mourned for her. I cried for her. And yes. when I realized it, and then I realized that self-love was the most important thing that ever happened to me because it connected me with my soul. And I, once my, once I was connected with my soul, I realized that of course, my soul needed love and I needed, I was important. I was more than just someone's mother or someone's wife. But one of the reasons why I ended up on that path to self-love and Mandy did as well was because we were so full of pain because of the stress that both Mandy and I were diagnosed with fibromyalgia at the very same time. Oh my God, you two are so connected. It's not even funny. I know. We're both know. diagnosed at the same time. Wow. So you've been on a journey of discovery, coping with those symptoms as well together. So you were meant to be together. for Same exact symptoms that I thought maybe I was crazy. I mean, I know I'm an empath, but I was like, God. How are you coping with it then, girls? So first of all, props to you for the way you described it in your book. I mean, even like the way you're talking about, like when you moved your eyes, they felt like razor blades. Yeah. Yes. So you also talked about at one point thinking maybe that you are a hypochondriac or other people thought you were. So Shannon and I both felt that way because I would text her and be like, oh my God, my hair's breaking, my skin's dry. You know, every single joint in my body hurts when I wake up in the morning, my hands are numb. I feel like I have electrical pulses going in my body, like the most strangest symptoms ever. And thank God we had each other yeah. because- yeah she was like, you're not crazy. You're not a hypochondriac. I'm feeling the same thing. You want to know what Shanna and I didn't accept the diagnosis. We decided we were going to say no. And me. I know that I had real symptoms. I'm not taking away from that. I had every single one of those symptoms. In fact, this morning I texted Mandy. I said, I feel like I've been hit by a bus. I know it's just stress. 
the stress is attacking my body because it knows that it's trying to tell me that I need self-care right now, that I haven't been giving myself something. Our symptoms were real, very much real. I mean, and then they come back on and off. Yes. You know, as does stress and life and everything. Absolutely. I mean, we both had so much medication though at first that we didn't have any more pain, you know, we didn't feel anything. Absolutely. That was a problem. I was a complete zombie. I was numb. And I was just literally a walking pharmacy. So in the book is that I found a forum of girls from the US and over in the UK. And they were my lifeline in the end, because you really do feel that you're over, you know, you're making it up and you're just feeling sorry for yourself and perhaps this and that. But when people start saying, I know, I get that. That's when I started feeling I belong somewhere that I could own it once and for all and say, oh, my God, so do I. And that's why I wanted to really describe it quite graphically in the book, because so many people who've bought the book, who've got fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, have basically said, oh, my God, I feel so grateful because my husband, my mum, my dad, my brother, my sister are saying, no, no, there's not this, there's nothing wrong with you. It's all in your head. Do this, do that. And so to make it real, because society doesn't make it real, we're kind of left behind as a million's missing, left to just get on with it, and they pump us full of drugs. So thank God I was given low-dose naldrexone. You know, my nan from the spirit world showed me that. Spoiler! Again, it was a drug. And again, I don't like labelling myself with fibromyalgia and ME or CFS. However, I need to at the moment because... That label, people are going to relate to it and acknowledge that condition with me and go, I've got this too. But my actual soul is saying, I'm fine. I'm going to be absolutely healed soon. But the moment I know that I need to own that label to reach out to the people who are laying in their bed suffering and losing any sense of life that they ever had. And it's the acceptance. That's the thing. Or I spent the first couple of years mourning. And you were saying about mourning your life. I was mourning the loss of who I used to be and the money I had and the house I had. And I was mourning all of this, not realizing it was just material crap. That meant nothing because I was in such a bad space. I hated myself with a vengeance. I wanted to punish myself all the time. So then to come through the materialistic rubbish and realize that as long as you're happy and that you're full of love and you're, you know, you're abundant in love, you've got people around you that support you and you're trying the best you can with whatever condition you've got, it doesn't matter if you live in a palace or a shack. As long as you've got a roof over your head, you're safe and secure and you're surrounded with love, you're okay. And this is what I wanted to put out there as well, because I literally did lose every single penny. I've worked so hard for 18 Mm -hmm. years in the police service as a detective, bang, all gone. And that was what I found hardest was that the anger and the resentment and the bitterness that I'd worked so hard, never had a penny handed out to me ever in my whole life. I've worked for everything I got and then it all went. I was like, really? I was so angry, so angry. And that's why I lost my faith. I thought I was cold reading people. I didn't believe in the spirit world. I thought I'd made it all up. You know, the first time I saw spirit person was my dad two days after he died in a road accident when I was nine. I thought, no, I imagine that. It was a load of rubbish. The fact that I went home and told everybody, you know, and I just literally had had enough of it because I was in such a bad space, wanting to die every day. And I just thought, I hate you. So, you know, this book isn't about preaching to an already converted angel lover and spiritualist person. I hated them. I was a normal person without faith, totally lost. And they dragged me back from hell kicking and screaming because I so wanted to lay in that self-pity and that anger Mm. and that frustration. But they would not have it. They wouldn't have it. They dragged me back out. And God bless them for doing it. 
I just find that it's so weird that, you know, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, anxiety, depression, insomnia, thyroid yeah. problems, maybe ADHD. So are these all symptoms of just our bodies being under stress, our bodies not being able trauma. to let go? Trauma. Muscle memory. I think so. I remember reading a book that said the body remembers. Yes. And I think that, you know, obviously really? from my trauma, from my past abuse and the loss of my dad and everything else that took place, I mm -hmm. think, yes, you do hold on to that trauma. Yes. But some people get a bit, they misconceive that conception and think right. that they're wanting to hold on to it. But sometimes yeah. we do need help to alleviate it because when I started getting the panic attacks and anxiety, I'm like, what? I used to run murder investigations, for God's sake. Why am I getting panicked about opening the door and going outside? You know, and it was it was overwhelming. They are overwhelming, aren't they? The anxiety and panic attacks in the book about the nightmares and the dreams that I had every single night. They would repeat everything that I experienced trauma in, and they were showing me yes. that they were alleviating that trauma so that I could have this fresh new canvas to move forward. But at the time, I didn't realise it, and I'm thinking, God, are they punishing me even more? That when any trauma we hold brings out manifestations physically. When I was reading that chapter, I was like, oh my God, she's being haunted by her trauma. Absolutely. I just thought, what the hell? I was dreaming of exes and my abuse, you know, when my mum married an animal and I went through, I was going through that every single night and I'm like, oh, not again. What the, yes. I thought I was losing my mind. I thought it was a breakdown. I, it broke my heart reading that chapter for you. Cause I'm like, we sleep to escape that shit. And then it's haunting you in your sleep. <laughs> and I remember even now sighing thinking shit I've got to be abused again you know I've got to be punched in the face again and I literally went through it again 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 but as the days went by I suddenly started to get power in the dreams and I started to overwhelm the energy of this animal and then I would stand up and just say I feel sorry for you and let you go and it was the same with you know the man that I mentioned in there the same thing with him it was like I really feel sorry for you that you have to be in this environment to use me rather than me be the victim and every yeah. single dream unbelievably ended in me being the victor and then I never ever dreamt of it again and still haven't you know getting retired from my job as a police officer absolutely broke me but now it's like okay that's fine that's absolutely fine yeah. I couldn't even watch police programs um, yeah. during that time because I would get nightmares of me not being able to be a police officer anymore now absolutely it's nothing it's all gone it's just gone into the universe and they've shown me yeah. how to do it now and that's why oh. i want to help show everybody else how to do it because oh, there is mostly awesome. nobody in this world that hasn't had some sort of trauma that's going to affect oh, physical sure. problems in their body if you don't want to please say no but i was oh, thinking oh. that it would be amazing for you just to read that introduction the prologue to just kind of give our listeners just a little piece of what your book leads into yeah of course and do you know what i've started doing on facebook i've started actually posting photographs of like you know i don't know if you got to when i was living in the cemetery yes the cemetery um, beautiful yeah and Whoa. i've just put pictures up of my cottage and the graves just to start giving people like a picture tour of the book just to give people a picture of what i was looking at because it is beautiful here. Devon is just um, next to Cornwall and we are, it is just the most stunning place full of moorlands, stunning beaches, craggy coastlines. And, you know, really I was in my dream space. Now I am, I'm just literally across the road from the beach. I can hear the waves now. It is a beautiful place, but to be in such horror in this beautiful place, 
you know, it's just it's just a really weird concept because everybody, when I put the photograph on about the cottage, they're like, oh my God, that's how I pitched it, it's so beautiful. I was in hell at the time. But anyway, yes, let's do that. Let's read the prologue. Ahem, are you ready girls? For I shall begin. <laughs> As I lay looking out to the sun-bleached Devonshire Valley, I felt that familiar yearning to be walking through it. Houses were cheerily dotted along the hills that led to the Dartmouth estuary, promising human life and interaction. In essence, any normal person would have let out an exhilarated sigh. They would have smiled and thought how lucky they were to be in such an awesome site in such a beautiful location. Well, no, not I. I resented these people busily leading their lives. To me, they might as well have been aliens residing on the moon. I had not seen anybody apart from the postman for months. I looked out to the swaying eucalyptus trees and allowed the silent tears to continue their steady stream down my cheeks. My eye sockets complained as, I, as this familiar motion continually working overtime, nothing stemming the pain. They sang in a voice that joined the rest of my body chorus. Every nerve, fibre, joint, muscle, tendon, bone and sinew roared, demanding attention. The insomnia drove me to near insanity along with the most demoralising depression. I was pretty much starving most of the time, as to even think of preparing food was about as possible as climbing Kilimanjaro on roller skates. I had bailiffs knocking at my unanswered door and merciless bankers demanding money. The people who I thought were friends turned their back or simply got bored of me. I was 44 years old, living like a 95-year-old invalid. My soul, body, mind and spirit were slowly dying, and my God, did I welcome death every single day. Death's sublime taste of freedom from this eternal imprisonment was all I could yearn for. The thought of residing in heaven was my only reprieve. I had nothing left, nothing to live for. I was lonely, terrified of my non-existent future and grieved my old successful life. The rawness of loss never left me. It just continued to stab me with a hot, sharpened poker whenever I thought about it all. The fight had gone. The battles of my mind and body raged on with no imminent victory. I was standing on the precipice, facing an abyss of darkness, uncertainty and fear. How could I step back and prevent falling into a void of blackness and change direction? I couldn't as far as I was concerned. I drew the curtains, got back into bed and dreamt of suicide. That makes me go goosey. Yeah. I remember that day. I remember that day. It's making me feel a bit emotional. I remember that day. There was a bottle of morphine on the side bedroom cabinet. And I remember looking out onto the valley Beautiful, lovely, big windows, Victorian cottage I was staying in. Finally had a home after being homeless all that time. And it was a beautiful day. I could see people, you know, walking around, doing their bits and pieces down the valley. And I just thought that morphine could be in my mouth and I could be gone within 10 minutes. And I remember thinking that. And then my two dogs jumped both on my chest looking at me. And I actually took a photo of them. And again, I'll be putting that on my site just to show that their two faces, oh my God, it's looking so emotional. The two faces just looked at me like, don't leave us, mummy. You can't leave us alone because I know that they wouldn't be found for ages because I had nobody, you know, coming to see me. And I just couldn't do it because of that. And the fact that in the back of my energy, the back of my mind, my dad had visited me when I was in Turkey to tell me that I was going to go through the worst time of my life and that I would bounce back and have the best life I could possibly ever imagine with work, career, happiness, my own health and mind, if you like, and the fact that I'd be really happy with somebody. And so, believe me, there were times I was like, Dad, you're talking a load of rubbish. You come and visit me from heaven. You're talking bullshit. 
uh, there was that in the back of my mind, but that was the day that I thought, I can't do this. I can't leave them crying over my dead body to be that dramatic. And that slowly led to the surrender, which obviously is the, the thing that I did under the full moon in the middle of a cemetery, naked. <laughs> I can't wait to read that part because I haven't read your book yet, but now I really, really want to just talking to you for these few minutes. Oh, what I found you. is very interesting is that you know, Mandy and I did an episode on Veterans Day for um, her brother who passed away or who was killed in Iraq, his master oh, sergeant. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Yes, oh, but you know what? He talked about how the more he told his story, the, the more he was healed. And then yes. he found it was interesting that he'd tell it like so many times and at different parts, he would voice would start cracking a little and he'd get these emotions at different parts of it which yeah. I thought was so interesting because I just said you know maybe it's that when we tell the story because I know I have my own stories that I tell and the same thing happens right like yeah. not every time do I get emotional and, and attached at the moment to that part but it might be a different part and I saw that in you you know when you were emotional and I just wondered is that same for you like, I, I found it very cathartic, actually, to write it, first of all, because um, someone asked me that um, a couple of weeks ago on Facebook or wherever it was. The other thing is, as well, I remember when the book finally arrived, the, the first copy I had in my hands, and my friend was here, another beautiful soul, Lorraine, and she said, how are you feeling? And to begin with, I just completely shut down. I was completely numb because it was physically in my hand. And then I burst into tears. I absolutely burst into tears. And it was crying for the person who was in that book during that time. I cried and cried for the pain that person went through and cried with pride, cried with humbleness that that person had come through so much adversity to then thrive rather than just survive. And it really took me by surprise how emotional I was. I could not stop crying. She's like, oh my God, you're right. I said, no, it's just a really weird sense of release, you know, to physically have it and to know what is contained in those words in that book. To me, it was just, it was like sealing the end of an era and healing from it. And I do, even now, you know, there's certain parts of the book, even like the dedication where I put dad, I did it. You know, I always planned in my fantasy world that if I ever wrote a book, I would put that in there to my dad. I did it. And even when I read that out to someone, I started crying again. And I'm like, wow, you know, I just, my dad has been the biggest part of my life from the spirit world. Are you all right, my angel? Yeah, I'm just, I love your God story. Bless you. <laughs> I know, it is just incredible. Don't, because you're going to stop me off. But um, it's it, one of the hardest things I had to cope with was the fact that I never had a proper father figure. And I think that was part of my massive issue with men. And when I wrote Dad, I did it, I just know that he was looking down thinking, yeah, you did do it, girl, well done. And to me, that broke me as well. That broke me because, you know, we're all human at the end of the day. And I know that I get visitation, synchronicity and signs from my spirit family. And they basically kept me alive and kept me going and brought me to where I am now. I know that without a doubt, along with my guides and the angels that visited. I didn't even know. I never heard of half of them till I Googled them. And... Um, I just, and, but it doesn't replace the physical cuddle or the fact that I haven't had a dad all my life, you know, 
And so you do, you, you just, you, it, it gives you a chance and it has given me a chance to investigate every angle of my being emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, and just to, you know, check in and make sure I'm okay. And that's why I still continue to do my soul journal. The soul journal, mm-hmm. you know, is the heart of the book. Obviously I incorporate all of my entries completely. They're unedited, completely real as, you know, the day is long. They're exactly what I wrote at the time when I could manage to actually pick a pen up and see, because sometimes I woke up, my eye was closed. I couldn't even see properly. And so the rawness and the reality of that and putting it in there, I still do it now. It's a, it's a practice I do almost every day, my soul journal. I check in with myself. And just sometimes I flick through the book and read a page and then just check in with how I'm feeling about that now. So to me, it's going to continue to heal you know, yeah. it's continue to heal whatever comes up in, in, in life. But I do know now that I did have a frustrate. We all get bad days. I had a bit of a bad hour. But now I just get this sense of challenge. It's like, come on then, bring it on, because it really doesn't faze me. I really, It's not like I don't care. I know that I'm not alone. I know the universe will carry me through, whether it's negative or positive, And I know it'll be OK. I know that. Mm-hmm. I don't believe mm-hmm. it. I don't hope. I know. I 100% know and so when people you know say to me are you worried about COVID are you worried about no absolutely not well don't you care yeah I care but I know that whatever's going to happen needs to happen and it's the same with anything that happens in my life I know that I'll be carried through because I'm loved by higher forces out there and it doesn't matter about your creed your religion your color your race whatever whatever your belief system is you are looked after whether you yeah. are consciously, spiritually aware of it or not, everything mm-hmm. that happens in your life is guided somehow by someone that loves you up there. They're trying to help you. So for me to encourage people to open their energies up and say, well, well, if there's someone up there, come and help me. And then suddenly they start seeing the results. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to get more people into the fold that we're all girls trying to do here is bring people to a sense of peace whilst they're doing their human experience this time round. Because really, one human life, and I, I always use this analogy, is a speck of salt in a huge ocean. You know, we're a monster. I just wrote about that this morning. No, no I, way! I just wrote about being a speck of salt in the ocean this morning. Oh my, my God, I can't believe I'm bringing up so many synchronicities for you. Aren't I just, I'm just amazing, aren't I? I'm just you <laughs> You truly are. I wrote about that for our self-love workshop. I was going to send it to Shanna. <laughs> well, this is how it works, sweetheart, because, you know, my voice is just like double the fact that this is what you should be doing. This is what you need to put out next. So I'm just yeah. giving you synchronistic without even thinking yeah. about it. You mentioned that you have a few guides that you didn't even know that you had. Yeah. Tell us about them. Yes, I do say meet the crew, don't I? There's a chapter that says meet my crew. When I was a kid, there was a show over here called Steptoes and Sun. And there was this man who was all crinkled up and he was always moaning. And he had like grey kind of stubble and his messy old hair. And this man used to come to me and I thought, oh my God. And I used to be such a snob. Oh my God, who's this man I keep dreaming of? He was right in a like brown sackcloth and all the rest of it. And I'm like, God, who are you? And it wasn't until I got retired from the police service that um, I started to get introduced to these guides. Do you know, I implement my spirituality and my work, my spiritual work. It's very much as a detective. I need to have proof. I need to have evidence. Otherwise, I'm not going to deliver it. So everything I share with people has been proven to me through synchronicity, signs or whatever. So when this man rocks up, old Scruffy, 
rocks up and says, I'm your guide. I'm like, whatever. So I said, well, you need to do better than that. So he takes me off in this meditation cross dream. And I end up in this cave. I can smell the sulfur. I can hear the water dripping. It's freezing cold and dark. A rock goes across, opens this cave door up. I walk out. It's red hot. There's cypress trees. And I said, where am I? And then this scruffy geezer, this scruffy man turns up and goes, I'm Julianus. You're in Trastevere, Rome. I'm like, really? Okay. And I'm thinking, remember, remember, Google, Google. And he goes, it's 1452. I'm like, okay. And he goes, your name's Mary. I'm like, right. And when I look in the silhouette, I've got like this square hood thing on. I'm like, what the hell's going on? So then suddenly we flash to outside a church called St. Cecilia's. And there's these pillars and a fountain in this courtyard and the church is beyond in this square in Rome. And then this man comes up to me and says he's Pope Nicholas V and that he presided over me and that we were welcoming that house of Mary Magdalena at this time. I'm like, okay. Anyway, it goes on and on and on. So guess what I do? Rather than go, oh, I have a guide called Julianus from Rome. I buy a ticket to Rome. And I go out to Rome. You Let's did? have it. Oh, yeah. That's so awesome. I, got, I got in a cab and said, take me to St. Cecilia's Church, Trastevere, Rome. He just went, see. Yeah. And I went, oh, my God, it exists. Wow. So he drives me to this place in the square. There's the columns, St. Cecilia's written over the church. You can see the ruins of the fountain in the courtyard. And I'm like, oh, my God. I run out from this cab, nearly forget to pay him run in and everywhere is exactly how I saw it and I even found a bust of Julianus who used to write prophecy in the church couldn't believe it so I started crying in there everybody kept seeing if I was all right my next stop was the Vatican so I thought hang on a minute Pope Nicholas V said that he presided over us in 1452 so I jump over um, to the Vatican and I don't know if you've ever been there but there are tens of thousands of people in there at any given time I go up to this guy and I say, where's Pope Nicholas V's crypt? No, madam, it's not here. Yes, it is. No, it's not. And I start getting angry. I couldn't believe it. And I've gone, yes, it is. And he goes, it's not in the guidebook. He isn't here. So I just went, oh, forget it. And I walk through these thousands of people to this tiny little doorway, right? Walk in, second crypt on the right. I'm bent over this crypt like a nutter, crying my eyes out to the extent where I'm so hysterical that these nuns come and say, madam, madam, you okay? And sit me down. So once I've got myself sorted, I can't explain all this emotion that I'm having. I go over to the crypt. It's Pope Nicholas V who presided over the diocese of Trastevere in 1452 when they welcomed nuns into the house of Mary Magdalena. It was all completely true. And when I came yeah. out from the crypt area, the guide found me out of all these thousands of people because you're a very special lady. He took me to the back rooms of the Vatican and he got a security, an armed security man to go and get me um, holy water from the font of the Pope, from his private font. And I still got some left and I even healed my dog's tumour with some of that water. Holy so I felt... I know there's something holy, in Holy, holy, holy shit. Okay. Oh my God, so, tell me about it. It's real holy shit. You know what? Here may be a connection to my very first past life regression, 1432. I was a Franciscan nun in Austria. Oh my God. I was, I was and, some Franciscan. That was the cave. You know, I forgot to mention it. The cave. Oh, I didn't know. I don't know anything Franciscan. about any of that. I've never even heard of it before my regression. I still don't know much about it. Oh but my, my God. My spirit guide is a monk and he, uh, he doesn't <gasps> speak. 
And I never understood it until like I put it together over the past few years. He took a vow of poverty. He is a Franciscan monk. And he is my my niece, Juliana C, San Franciscan. And they what they had to do back in those days is spend some time in a cave to find themselves. And once they've gone through this purification, the cave rolls back and then they can go into their given place of service. Mine's San Franciscan. I was a San Franciscan nun. Well, I feel like I oh didn't my goodness. want to be there. I feel like, and I, and I, this is something I just discovered in the past month. I think that I was sent there for some reason because I was looking out this window that was a long, you know, there's, it wasn't glass. It was just a hole and it was a big concrete building. I've never even heard of this place or or I'd never even thought of Austria in my life but I could see just these hills of green and and all this stuff well I found out there was a Franciscan church there and it and when I looked it up it looked exactly like oh, what you're describing my. how you were like oh my god, god this place existed I was like holy cow it was amazing so maybe that we incredible. knew past life yeah it wouldn't surprise me because I do feel connected to you two You've actually been able to see spirits since you were a very young girl. When did you discover that gift? When I was a child, I used to get prophetic dreams and dreams of being sucked to different light and flying all over the place and visiting various things. And I just thought everybody could do that. If anybody touched anything that belonged to me, I could feel the energy in my, what I now know is more at field. I could feel people, even if I wasn't in the house, touching my things or going near stuff like that. I thought that was normal. And then what happened was, was that, I was nine years old. My mum come up and my auntie come up and basically said my dad had died in a road accident and he was only 38. My mum was left with nine-year-old me, five-year-old my brother and my sister was only nine months old. It was horrific. Two days after my auntie had come, whose husband was also in the van that crashed, um, we said, look, we need to get some fresh air. Took the dog out for a walk and I couldn't believe it because driving right up and pulling up in front of me was my dad in his car. And he put his thumb up and goes, it's okay, Nikki, I'm fine. Don't worry. I'm like, what the hell? So I start screaming in the street, talking, daddy, daddy. And so my auntie thinks I'm losing the plot. We go back home and I smash through the door, screaming and really angry because, you know, they'd lied to me. I'd just seen my dad. How dare they lie? And I was saying to my mum, why are you lying to me? So the less spiritual side, which I think is my mum's side, um, even though my mum was psychic herself, um, they kind of thought, oh, bless her, she's in denial. But then my dad's side, that are all the spooky dookies, they're all psychics, mediums and healers, and we go back generations. My granddad said, look, darling, you're special. You're going to be seeing people that have passed over. And it goes, and obviously, dad is the first one. He has gone over to the spirit, but he's just come to visit you. And you're going to get this all of your life now. And that kind of just pinged it off. You know, I started seeing spirit people and all sorts of things. However, when the trauma started, when the abuse started, that kind of bubbled away in the background. And the only thing I remember is I remember being sung to after I was abused, when I was rocking away in a corner somewhere. And I could hear this chorus and it felt like a radio playing somewhere. I could have never quite, you know, get where it was. And later in life, when I did a workshop, talk about expert, I'm doing a workshop for all these people, for angels. And I'm crying my eyes out when we come back from meditation because I've just been up to the celestial gardens at the Crystal Palace, seen the seraphim and they've said, welcome back. And I'm like, why, do you know me? And they said, we sang to you during your times of weariness. And I'm like, oh my God. 
And so the seraphim would sing to me during all that time. But then also during that time, I started to develop an armor, this anger, this hatred. And yeah, go on then, punch me again. And, you know, he ended up stabbing me and all sorts of stuff. And I and I and that's when the anger kicked in and I developed this armor. Who was hitting you and who was stabbing you? It was my mum's husband that she married because she broke. My, my dad was a love of her life. She was 32 when it all happened. And she ended up turning to drink and, um, you know, Valium. She just lost the plot, basically. And this man showed interest in her. And again, it's another reflection of self-worth. She was a broken soul and just thought, well, someone's going to look after me. But he turned into be the most violent animal out. So he used to beat the absolute crap out of my mum and me. He hated me with a vengeance because I wanted to be a police officer. And he was a very dishonest man anyway, always in trouble with the police. And the problem is, I felt at the time that my mum was letting him do it, sexual as well as physical, mental as well, all of the time. So he smashed me into a state of complete lack of self-love. I hated myself, obviously deserved these beatings and the way he touched me and the way he spoke to me. I was told I was never good enough. The first time I got a job and bought something for myself, a top, he said, you just look like an effing whore. So, you know, I, I was basically molded into this angry lost broken soul that had no way to grieve you know my dad grieved the loss of my mum because she we lost her even though she wasn't hadn't passed and really you know she had a lifetime of misery and she was broken her whole life she was broken her whole life and it was such a shame um and so I really didn't have a lot of spiritual interaction then when I got into the police service I was a police cadet straight out of coming from school at 16 and it all started coming back again and I'm really ashamed to say that it was a party trick I used to sit there and do readings in the canteen at the police headquarters for people and give them fortune telling and then if we went out I would say see that man over there he's a carpenter his name's John or whatever and they'd go over and go oh my god he's a carpenter he's called John and I used to just play with it and it wasn't until, and I, it's awful to say I play with it. I was only young, God, and, and you know, I got attention from it. It was another way to get attention and admiration at the end of the day. I recognise that now. But what really hit was when I was in a bar, this lady was there and she was a friend of a friend who I'd met up with. And I suddenly blurted out without even thinking about it. I said, that man that you saw murdered at the holiday camp says you need to forgive yourself and lose the guilt because it's, it's not your fault, you need to leave it. And she dropped her drink and went ballistic. She just lost her shit right there. And her husband's going, what did you say to her? What did you say to her? I'm like, Christ. So he's, she's going, no, no, it's all right. I just can't believe you said that. And basically she'd witnessed a man throw another man down the stairs at, on holiday, but she lied to the police because she was so scared that the murderer was gonna come and get her and her family. And she'd held all this guilt for all this time. And the murder victim came to me to tell her, let it go, it's done. And so I thought, oh my God, I've got some responsibility here. I can't play around this anymore. And weirdly enough, it's not weirdly, the universe did it. That weekend where I used to live, there was um, a psychic fair in the community hall. And I remember walking in and this lady went, come here. She goes, you are not coming here for a reading, are you? I went, yeah, I am. She goes, no, 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 you should be giving them sit here now. And I sat with her the whole day and I used to go, her name was Rose. I used to go around her house and she used to, she's taught me how to discipline my energy, discipline when I spoke and didn't speak to the spirit world, showed me various divination tools, which I've been playing with tarot since I was a kid, you know, because it was always on the table at my nan and granddad's. But 
she showed me sand divination, mirror divination. She gave me a history of spiritualism that I didn't know about. And she kind of got me on the path. So I ended up being a cop during the day and a psychic at night doing parties. <laughs> oh my God, it's awesome. <laughs> You're my favorite kind of cop. Oh, it's so cool because I got so many arrests from it because I just knew what people had done. And I knew what places to be and what time I used to find missing people. I found the motive for a murder yeah. uh, when a husband killed his wife. So, it, But the hardest thing was, I've said this before, actually, the hardest thing was, because I'm not an expert witness being psychic, we had to find ways to get the evidence in. Right. You couldn't say, oh, you know, Detective yeah. Marley's a psychic. It's like, oh, we got an anonymous call. You know, we had to write it up so that it could be admissible. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> Where's the drugs? Where's, I know it's in your left pocket on the right side. <laughs> it's just like, yeah exactly you get, and you get pulled over by officer nikki allen <laughs> exactly i was just absolute i was it was an absolute nightmare just you just saw then that i said detective morley because my actual real name is morley but i work in memory of my dad and his name was alan when oh. i did my first documentary um on television they said look you know do you want to have a stage name because you know people might connect you to being a cop and yeah. a detective now you need to change to be a bit more spiritual. So I thought, easy, I'll work in my dad's name. So that's why my name is A-L-A-N. Because everybody oh, always misspells it as the surname, okay. Alan. But it's Did you ever name. do cops? Like, bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? You said documentary, <laughs> and I was like, man, I'm gonna look that up. I bet she is good. <laughs> oh, man, I was called the Rottweiler. Wow. I was called, I was called the Rottweiler. I was scary. Don't get me wrong, I was very yeah. laugh out loud and love to make people laugh. And I was the party girl. But if you cross me, I smash yeah. you. And I was also amazing with rape victims and murder victim families. So Yeah, um, you know what? I was going to bring that up. I thought it was very interesting that you were able to specialize in those areas, considering you were a victim of sexual assault, not only by your stepfather, but also when you were like seven years old, you got drugged into right. a bathroom and sexually yeah. assaulted. What is your armor? Is that Yeah, my armor was this loud in your face girl so that you couldn't get close to see how weak and lost I really was. So this armor was this, woohoo, I'm here. Don't worry, Nikki's here. And I used to be the drinker and do all the daring stuff, all the rest of it. However, with victims, you don't know what it's like. And I go, hey, yeah, I do. And then I would tell them my experiences. And then I instantly got that rapport with them because I got it. I got it with them, what it's like to be a rape victim. And also, you know, I certainly wasn't murdered, but you know, nearly all my family have passed now. I've only got one auntie and uncle, brother and sister left. Everybody else is dead. You know, I don't fear death. And I know exactly, you've just had a huge orb just go past you, man. You've just had a huge orb fly over your head. Huge. Just gone right the way down past your head. That was incredible. It's white, so it's definitely a spirit person. I'll see if I can work out who it is. Um, but basically, yes. Yeah, so I, I never feared death. So if anybody had to be told, you know, their family member was dead or they'd been murdered, they'd send me. So I had no fear in it. I knew that I would always be a strength and knew exactly what to say and do with people that were being told something that was going to break their life forever. I found myself absolutely being a strength in that area. I had no fear of it and I knew exactly how to cope with it. And I adored doing it. And I know it sounds really bad, but people used to call me the angel of death. Oh my god! Because I go, yeah, send her in. Go, and, she can go and tell him that, that you know someone's just been shot or whatever. I used to absolutely adore my work, and the problem was though, the biggest problem was, was that I would see the murder victim in the room. 
you know, their son's just been killed or whatever. And the son's standing there and I'm like, my God, don't look, don't look, don't say anything, don't say anything. But in the end, there was one particular one where a guy had a gangland shooting. He was shot on his doorstep in front of his son and his uh, wife. It was horrific at the time. And he was there so quickly. He was there so quickly. And he used to wind me up and go, go on, tell her I'm here, tell her I'm here. And I'm like, can you just shut up? You can't do this. I've got to be professional. Can you just shut up, please? He used to look like a certain character on a cartoon. So he used to turn the channel over. So eventually when I got to know the family, they go, it's really weird. The channel keeps turning over to this cartoon character. And we always said that that was him. And I went, can I just tell you something? And this was about six months on, you know, because you stay with them right up to the trial. And I basically said, I'm going to tell you now, he's been here most of the time. I said, this is what he's wearing. They said, that's what, that's what we decided to bury him in. And I didn't have a clue what they were going to bury him in. And, you know, he would say things to her and go, that's my nickname. I go, right, well, he's saying it. So there were some times when it brought comfort and it felt right. But other times I couldn't say a word. You know, I used to interview people and see a murdering the person. And they're sitting there going, no, no, I wasn't there. Got a total alibi. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just seen you do it. And that was traumatic, to be fair. You know, me watching someone murder someone, it's not nice to see, but I can handle it. And I think that's why I get a lot of murder victims come to me. And if there's a serial murder out and about, oh, my God, straight away the victims come to me as well. Do you find compassion for these murders? You know, a lot of people want to chalk them off as that they're going to hell. What are your thoughts on that? Interestingly, I asked this way, way ago. There was a serial murder in Ipswich and I kept getting the victims come to me. And weirdly enough, I even ran randomly was doing readings for people that turned out to be family members of them and they were just drawn to phone me. And so I wanted to know about the murders. And then what happened was, was I was doing a reading for someone and I couldn't believe what I was seeing because her nan come through, her grandma come through, lovely lady. And then suddenly I'm seeing blood, throats being slit. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. And so I've gone, oh, my God. She goes, go on, please, please tell me. And I went, I don't know if I can. This is horror. And I could see these two twin babies getting murdered, right? And she goes, please tell me. I've been trying to find a psychic. Please tell me what you're seeing. And in the end, I basically said to her, I'm really sorry, but your nan's brother, he killed these two baby twin babies on a beach and then shot his head off. Which went, oh, my God, she goes, you're the first person to pick this up. And I'm thinking you're going to get baking cookies from your grandma. And... No, it was hell. And so I said, can you please excuse me? So I'm going to go off. I want to sit with your grandma because I want to know what happened to your uncle, your great uncle, because he killed his sister's children. So she explained, the grandma explained that he was exposed to mustard gas in the war that sent him mental and he had a throwback on the beach because he was left on the beach during the war, having to fend for himself. And the Whoa. throwback allowed him, he ended up killing the babies in front of everybody and then shooting his head off. I'm like, Jesus. So immediately you think, bastard, he's going to go to hell with the rest of it. But it turns out that I said, what happens to him? What happens? Does he go to hell? She goes, no, 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 no. Because his intent was because of a man-made effect on him, he will go to the halls of learning, yeah. learn what it feels like to go through this process as a victim himself. And then he'll go to what they call the pool of divine truth, right? I'm like, okay, what's the pool of divine truth? She didn't tell me. And I found out years later. So basically I come back and said, look, he's not going to hell. He didn't intentionally do this. He basically was exposed to something that sent him completely mad. And the twins were up there holding hands with him. 
and so is your nan up there and they're all happy together because he's gone and done his learning so anyway I learned then about this health thing so it really was bugging me and then after a while I was I was up in what I call the crystal palace I've been taken to heaven hundreds of times and what they've done they've given me a man map they've given me a map because you can't really describe in human terms heaven because it's all layers of energy and frequency so what they've done is they've kind of given me a map where I know where everything is and so when I've taken my students on up there they go I turn left I think that's the cherubim chamber and they're going and it was cherubim I'm like yes so even my students have backed up my map that I've drawn of heaven right so anyway I keep asking about what happens to murderers and bad people. And so in the end, they obviously answer because they said, right, we'll show you. We'll show you what happens. So everybody thinks there's a heaven and a hell. There is a purgatory. There is an energy. They've taken me there where you've got souls that haven't crossed over, souls that have perhaps taken themselves over or done bad deeds down here that won't go anywhere. And that was awful. It was horrible. There's a purgatory where people are in limbo. So I've been there. It weren't nice. So then they take me to this chamber and, they, and it's a big pool and there's all these, you know, the cute cherubims are on the wall and in gold leaf, beautiful place, just like an indoor swimming pool, basically, with gold gilt everywhere. And so they said, just walk along the pool, go down the steps and get in the pool. So I'm like, okay. And it's, it's like milk, milky white pool. So I lay, and they say, just lay back. So I'm laying back in this water and I can see all these things like tadpoles, like bright fluorescent tadpoles and they're zapping in and out of my body. And I said, what's going on? They said they're called sentience. I'm like, okay. Then suddenly the cherubim come off the wall and line themselves around the pole, right? And they're looking down at me. And then the most scariest thing happened, scared the shit out of me. Their faces turned into oxen or lions, really ferocious. And I'm like, Christ. So anyway, these sentients are doing their thing. And then I just feel sublime. I feel beautiful and great. And there's love and light and angel faces and God knows what, apart from these scary faces of the cherubim. So I come out and they said, you have been judged. I said, what do you mean? They said, this is where we take. We wanted to show you this, to show you where we take the bad souls. You don't go to hell. You're not judged by God. You're taken into this pool and the sentience will check your soul for what you've done down on the earth plane. Then the cherubim will lie in the pool and if you are wrong and if your soul cannot be rectified and is not supposed to be reincarnated again, you're judged by the lion faces and the oxen heads. Then what happens is I saw the pool bubble black and your soul dissipates into its own filth. Right, And you go through whatever you've created on the earth plane, whoever you've murdered or caused pain to, thousandfold. It is shocking what karma you have when you've done really bad things. So I'm thinking, wow, this is really incredible. But of course, girls, you've got to hit the Google button. So I find the Old Testament. I just put in cherubim chamber. And my God, I find in the Old Testament, right, that I've never read the Old Testament in my life. It says about the cherubim chamber, which is the right hand of God. And they shall judge you with the head of lion and oxen. And it's written in the Bible in the Old Testament. Well, so and, like, and the seraphim are described as yep. having the faces of got four faces that face north, east, south, and west. And they were at the beginning of creation. They bring dawn to planets with Archangel Ariel, Mother Gaia. They also bring up 
multitudes of um, souls that have passed in a natural disaster, for instance, a tsunami, terrorist attack. So you didn't know then, any of that? No, they've taken me up and shown me it all. This is because I've got my next book, which is You Won't Leave Me, which is already written. It just needs editing, which is all about grieving from a spiritual and a human perspective. It's about how to use mediums and then how to start a spiritual relationship with your loved ones that have gone over. And then it ends with true stories of people who've had their loved ones prove that they're with them, just ordinary people. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. book. So that one's, and then the next one is going to be My Map of Heaven. I don't know how I'm going to present it, but it is incredible. You can go up, I've even done it on YouTube. I did a guided meditation. I thought, I'm going to try it. I go up and see my family in heaven. It's called the reality layer, right? I go up and see them and sit my nan and have a cup of tea. And she tells me anything that I need to know or warns me about stuff. I see my mum, my dad, everybody, my dogs, everything. So I thought, well, if I can do it, surely I can guide people into it. So I did a guided meditation on my YouTube channel. And my okay. God, so many people have gone up okay. and met with their loved ones. I'm going to do it today. I can't do wait. Do it. What do is it. your it's, YouTube channel? What is it it's called? Just, it's just Nikki Allen, I'm psychic medium and author, I yeah. think it is. Okay. If you go on there, look at the guided meditations and it will be visiting your loved ones in heaven. Right. And everybody's getting there. I can't believe it. And they're going up visiting their people. And so I went up there and I thought, this is interesting. They said, oh, we'll take to the halls of learning now. So this is a place where you do your life agreement before you come down with your soul cluster. You meet your soul guide. And this is where all the guides hang out. Right. And it's where the scrolls are written for the Akashic Records, Archangel Metatron. Mm -hmm. So and then I was taken to the chambers of the archangels. And I know Mm -hmm. if I want to visit a certain archangel, I go up and do that. Then there's the cavern where the omnipresence is, which is the source of the whole of the universe, which is mind-blowing. And how the source showed itself was its face was all different pictures of the planet. Crying baby, war, laughter, happiness, kissing. And his face was manifested into that. However, I ended up writing a fiction book called Earthwalkers, six years ago and it actually predicted covid it predicted um the arena bombing in manchester we had here and i wrote it as fiction but now i think it was actually fact and they were telling me the state of the planet and teaching me about heaven so i've got to find a way i don't know the approach yet but i know that i need to share this because everybody wants to know what happens after you die and i know i've been up there so many times fountain of youth all that been there and that basically is a celestial fountain where the seraphim scoop up and it's all this energy from all different planets, scoop it up and use that to heal people. So when I was last up there, there were a load of soldiers from Afghanistan there being healed that have been brought up en masse by the seraphim. And it was just so beautiful to see. And so I know most of the layers, the cherubim chamber, there's also one that's just a huge eye and almost reviewing you like Archangel Jeremiah does in heaven when you first go up, he reviews your life with you. And it basically reviews and looks at what you need to go forward. It looks straight into your soul and tells you this is what you need to do. So then you'll get inspiration when you're in that room of what move to take next. This is what I'm trying to tell people. The thing is, is that I think sometimes we're embroiled in a bubble of psychic, you know, spiritual, new age rubbish and all the rest of it. And I think this is all turning around. The awakening is starting. There are so many more people awakening during this year of balance to a spiritual way of life and that's exactly what they told me would happen because of the crisis we're in 
both in you know global warming the way we treat the planet mankind war and obviously now the covid they said this would happen and i predicted this all six years ago in this fiction book i should have done it as fact and basically we're all awakening to this sense where we will be connected like we are now emotionally physically spiritually and we will start being more aware of that we can phone in home and say look i need some help guys come down this is what we're aiming for now because we get into a crisis stage where people just feel abandoned on the earth plane. And so it's it's up to us, you know, we do this day in, day out, trying to bring as many people into the fold as possible to say there is a lifeline. You just got to open yourself to it and grab it. It's that simple. Thank you for sharing that. Can you tell people also what else you have on your website and everything that you offer? Oh, yes, darling. Do you know what? It has been limited because obviously I have to watch my energy, my physical energy. But at the moment, obviously, online is the way forward, isn't it? I've already got an online prism living course, um, which is all of the tools that I was taught and given during my five year journey by the Angel Realm Spirit Guides and my spirit people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm doing that. I'm going to concentrate on online stuff more in the future. Obviously, I've got my YouTube channel where I do reading people as well as educate them on everything paranormal and spiritual i do do email readings but really everything is about the writing teaching online and youtube and i'll be obviously updating that as i get courses written up i'm going to be doing a tarot online learning course which will be half video half written connect with me on youtube or my website nickyallen.co.uk Facebook is Nikki Allen, Twitter, Instagram, are all Nikki Allen. If you just put N-I-C-K-Y-A-L-A-N in, then you literally find me anywhere. It's that simple. I love it. I love it. <laughs> you have been such a pleasure. I want to say, I wanted to read this. I want to read this for our listeners. You guys, this is out of her book. Highly recommend everyone gets this book. This Thank is a you. story of loss. This is a story of finding true faith. This is a story of survival and the strength of the human spirit. This is a story of miracles and amazing synchronicities. This is a story of redemption and self-discovery. This is a story that she hopes will reach the hands of the desperate, stuck in their darkness, and who, on reading it, will find their way back to the light. What I love most about it is the hope that you are offering to the readers. Yes, absolutely. That's all I want to do, my darling. And I'm now the most happiest and abundant I've ever been in my life. So that just shows you, once you surrender and let that higher power in, you will not step a foot wrong. Does everyone that surrenders have to go get naked in a cemetery? <laughs> I don't. Can they let me know when they're going to do it? <laughs> I'm down. When COVID's over, I might fly out and let's just go have a naked girls night in a cemetery. Right, I'm totally I'll bail down. you guys out. I'll, I'll just get out. it all out. I think really powerful things like just laying in the sea. You don't have to be naked. And you just think, oh. do you know what? I don't care because I'm happy. You deserve this. Thank you Happiness. so much. But so do you, darling. And you just got to keep believing and knowing that you deserve the best out of this human experience before you go back up. And by doing yeah. that, you will get it. You just have to be patient. And now it's time for Break That Shit Down. I love it. I'm going to break that shit down. What I want to say is what to the naysayers you mean and what I want to say about them. Like, do you know what? I'm going to be honest, right? I had two reviews out of, I've, had, I've got so many on Amazon um, that are all five star. I had two reviews. One was, and you could see from both of them that they did not get spirituality. One of them called me a whinger because of my illness. 
And one of them said that it was all my own fault. I created all my own problems because of the men I chose. But the whole point is that she should have fundamentally seen the reason why I did that, but she didn't. And they just carboshed it. You know, don't get this book. It's a load of rubbish. I'm like, do you know what? And it really upset me to begin with. But do you know what? What I will say by breaking my shit down is I know that as spiritual workers, we are bold in our presence and we are willing to put our head above the parapet to all of the idiots and the people that don't get it. And what I say to them is stay in your little ponds, stay in your little dark little silts of rubbish and denial because you're the ones that are not going to get the full experience of this human existence and when you go up you're going to regret it but what I do say is keep an open mind read this book reach yourself out there and start realizing that you when you feel you deserve the moon and stars you will get them so these people that gave me a bad review go do one <laughs> and for the people that want to be open to changing their lives read it and get on board with us girls because we're doing good here and there's thousands of other people doing good and this is what this is all about so let's keep our heads above the parapet be open to the trolls and the the whingers and all the other people that say what they yeah. want to say about us nutty people but you know what we've got it right sisters they yeah. haven't no they're sleepers oh hell yeah none of them are awake are they if i yeah. get one awake one yeah. awake in a week i'm happy it's been such pleasure. a pleasure oh my god i love you you are girl i love adorable. you i just want to so give you a hug i want us to hang out I and drink know. Or prosecco. <laughs> god bless the both of you i've had such yes. a lovely time you're beautiful you too, bye darling thank you it's just me myself and i for being with us today we hope you will come back next week if you like what you hear don't forget to rate like and subscribe thank you we rise to lift you up thanks for listening